Boxing Day bubble has burst. After the whirlwind of Christmas, it's over for another year. Recycling bins need to be filled, decorations have to be packed away, ham needs to be eaten, and you're left with life just going back to normal. And that's what we experience every year. Uh, an excitement, perhaps a stress, in the build-up to Christmas, a lovely meal, some presents exchanged. And we long each year, or I do, I think many of us do, for that time of excitement, for that time of enjoyment, but we are left with often the Boxing Day bubble that is burst. The excitement of Christmas just doesn't mend the broken family. The excitement of Christmas doesn't change what the doctor said. The excitement of Christmas doesn't give you that job that you long for and certainly true, the excitement of Christmas doesn't make you any less busy. I guess after Christmas it's just back to reality, isn't it? And one of the things about reality is that it's often quite disappointing because life is often disappointing. We're disappointed with the year that's passed and that's why we often hold high expectations for the year to come. We're disappointed with others and often we're disappointed with ourselves. We're disappointed with the brokenness that we see in our world, that we see in other people, that we see in ourselves, that we might even see in our own church. And for many, the thought of God amidst this brokenness, amidst this despair and sadness, the thought of God might be a nice idea, but world-weary people are cautious about making themselves vulnerable again to that cycle of hope and then reality descending. We're cautious about making ourselves vulnerable to an intangible reality like God out there somewhere. And so we feel a barrier, a blockage, a felt reality of sadness often displaces any possibility for many people of a consideration of God. That's the thing between them and the possibility of considering that there is a God and that they might be able to trust him. Last week, we began preparing our hearts for Christmas by looking at the book of Isaiah. And what we saw is that if we want to understand, and indeed, if we want to be swept up properly and wholly in the angels' joyous praise and in the bright stars of Christmas, we need to begin. We need to begin in the darkness. The context for the wonder of Christmas is the darkness of the reality of our lives and the reality of our world. And if we don't start in the darkness, we are just left with Christmas being reduced to a vacuous bubble burst on Boxing Day. See, the, the darkness of reality is in fact the gateway to the hope and the joy of Christmas. And it is, in fact, the gateway because this is what the prophet Isaiah prophesied. This is what he spoke of. This is the promise he gave in the middle 
of darkness, one of joy, one of hope, one of God coming, God stepping in. And that's what we're going to consider briefly today. I want to consider three points there. The fact that hope comes in the darkness. Secondly, on the third point there, why we need hope. And thirdly, how we can have hope. Because hope comes in the darkness. Hope is not just a happy alternative, you know, a preferable disposition to darkness and despair. No, quite the opposite. Hope, um, hope requires darkness. It's a precondition to us understanding hope. And so for the person who feels, because of their darkness and despair, feels so distant and alienated from God, that person at Christmas is just in the right spot for God to work in them to draw them near to him because it's those who are in darkness who long, who are desperate for hope. Israel are living in a situation of desperation and devastation. We read in the book of Isaiah that they have failed God. They have ripped apart their own nation through their disobedience and their idolatry. And essentially, we have 39 chapters before chapter 40 cataloguing the failure and the consequence of Israel's disobedience because Israel can't run up the debt forever. By the time Isaiah chapter 40 is spoken, the debt debt collectors have come for the nation of Israel. They're feeling the consequence for their disobedience They're without hope. They are without identity. They are without home. Cast off from Jerusalem. Exiled in Babylon. And they're not singing cheery Christmas carols. They are singing, but they're singing songs of lament and longing in dark dirges. Psalm 137 gives us a bit of an insight into the emotional temperature of the nation of Israel as they're feeling the consequence of their disobedience cast out from Jerusalem in the foreign land of Babylon. This is what Psalm 137 says. It says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for some songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of those songs of Zion. This is the darkness that Israel are in. They're sitting there and their instruments are hanging from the trees because they've got no need for celebration. And they're being tormented by their captors, knowing their sadness. And they're being asked to sing songs of joy, singing songs of the home country, singing songs of their national identity, singing songs of joy. And it's there in the middle of that dark reality that the words of 
chapter 40, verse 1, come in. They come in the middle of the darkness. They come as a surprise to the darkness. And we read these words in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The prophet's words come at a time of great desperation and great despair. Israel feel that God has abandoned them. The the halcyon days of celebration and God at work are far behind. The reality of judgment is all around them. They're asking themselves, where is God and where are his promises? Where is his covenant faithfulness? And the people, I think, believe that God has left them alone, that he's not coming back, that their future is as captives in Babylon, and they've resigned themselves to this reality. They've resigned themselves to just, this is how life is. This is how the world goes round. And I think so often we're in the same danger too. Because in a sense we are exiles. We're displaced from the world and each one of us knows that in our hearts, the world isn't as it should be. Our lives aren't as we would like them to be. We're separate from reality, from an ideal reality. We all sense that there is deeply something, there is something deeply wrong with our world. We see it in our lives, we see it in the injustice, the pain and the suffering. Things are not as they should be. We long for another world. We long for a home. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Life can't satisfy us. I'm sure uh, those of us who have been around for a little longer can testify because we've just tried everything and we know that we are left wanting. But even worse is the fact that things don't last. We see that in verses 6 and 7. We see that life is so fragile. Verse 6 says that all people are like grass and their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because of the breath of the Lord blows upon them. Our lives are fragile, and the days on this earth are numbered. Every one of us will face the reality. They're in the bloom of our lives. Perhaps it's hard to see, but all all of us one day will wither and fall. And that leaves us many of us, in a position that if this life is all that there is and then after some time we come and we're confronted to the reality that 
we all wither and fade, then it does lead to despair, especially if our lives are marred with pain and tragedy and suffering. And that is the case for many in our world. If their hope is caught up in this world, it is, an in, 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 it is a direct consequence that at some point in their lives, it's inevitable that they will be faced with despair and eventually you resign yourself or many resign themselves to the fact that God has abandoned them, that God has forgotten them, that this is all there is. And that wears people out. It wears us out. It leaves us weary and broken. And it's in the weariness and in the brokenness that I think often is why so, so many people are cynical toward the claims of the Christian gospel, the claims of hope. They're numb to it because of this cycle of hope being disappointed, leading to despair. And so at this time, as many in our world who don't believe in God want to celebrate Christmas, I think it's celebrated still in our country because, well, people eventually surrender to the idea of sentimental feelings are the best ones, are the only ones we can have and therefore people are willing to settle for them even though, even though they know that they can't ultimately satisfy. And so the prophet Isaiah speaks into this situation. He speaks into the situation for the people of God 600 years before Jesus' birth. But he also speaks words into our situation, into the situation of our world with lives that are caught in despair. And this word comes in Isaiah 40, verse 1, it comes as a word of comfort to those who are living in discomfort. And I think we're tempted to believe that well, the hope of comfort in our world, of a God coming to our world, that that, that is something far-fetched, yes, for us, but perhaps for those that read Isaiah's prophecy, it was more believable. But I think it sounded just as far-fetched back when Isaiah first spoke those words to the people of God as it does to many today. They're in the middle of their darkness, in the middle of their exile, in the middle of their sense of God's abandonment come these words. And this is what we announce, just as the prophet Isaiah announced. We announce words at this time. We announce it as we gather for church. We announce it as we engage in conversation. People ask us why we go to church at Christmas, what Christmas means to us, who Jesus is to us. We announce into people's darkness the words of comfort into their lives, into their situation. And we ought not think that the situation was any different 
back in Isaiah's time to our time. It was hard for the people to believe when these words were spoken. And it's hard for people to believe them now as they are spoken. The words from Isaiah chapter 40 speak of God intervening, God stepping in. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, don't we? We celebrate God coming to us in the Lord Jesus. That as he has come, he hasn't just come, he's come to change the reality of darkness and despair. He's come to change our lives, to change the course of our world and of history. As Jesus came, he was announced. The angels declared to the shepherds what had happened. And we too, we engage in an announcement. You know, we might think, look, it's pretty self-evident, Jesus come. But it's not. It's an announcement that needs to be made. As the Lord Jesus entered our world, it was announced. It was prepared for as the angel came to Mary. It was announced in the reality, in the time that he had came. And it's been announced as Christians have celebrated the reality of his coming ever since. And so at Christmas, what we have is the opportunity to announce the reality. Announce that reality that's not self-evident to people. Announce the reality to people in their despair, in their hopelessness, that this is in fact the opportunity. This is in fact the very way in which God works to prepare those for his hope. Despair and darkness isn't a roadblock to people coming to know the Lord Jesus. Despair and darkness is a preparation for people coming to know the Lord Jesus. So we must, this Christmas, proclaim to people in darkness and despair that hope has come. See, we need Christmas to tell us the world as we know it is not all that there is. We need Christmas to contradict the presumed reality that we live by and live in, that this is just the way the world operates. We need Christmas to tell us that as audacious as it might sound, there is salvation possible for all who would believe in the Lord Jesus. Hope is knowing that there is an alternate future and an alternate reality. And at Christmas, as many people try and escape the sad reality of their lives and just believe for some short time some small and inadequate form of joy and peace, we need to offer an alternative to them. That it's not just joy and peace, these are words that we like in our modern world, But they are secondary. They are secondary to the encounter with God himself, who is living hope, who is living joy. And hope is a reality for us that is an energising reality that helps us to see through the darkness and the despair, pointing to what God has done coming to us, how his kingdom has broken in, and how the king himself has come and how hope can be real to us. 
See, we need to move ourselves and we need to move others who don't know this hope from the notion that hope is just an idea to think pleasant thoughts at Christmas. We need to move people from that idea to the reality that hope is an exploding truth within our hearts. So how can we have hope? Well, I've got three suggestions at this time of year how we can have hope. The comfort Isaiah offers is in the form of a promise there in verse 3, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The voice echoes that was fulfilled in John the Baptist, who came announcing, who came preparing for the coming king. And as John the Baptist prepared for the birth of, as John the Baptist prepared for Jesus, he announced that not that God was just around the corner, but he announced that God was in fact under people's very noses. And isn't that our announcement? That hope isn't some vague possibility of the future. That the hope, the real and true reality that Jesus brings is right under people's noses. It's not so far from them when Jesus becomes a reality in their lives. John the Baptist came to prepare for the arrival of the king. In other words... He came to make space, to make room for the coming of the king, to make room for the coming of this new reality. And so we, too, need to make space, firstly, for this hope. The first thing that's required for us to have hope at Christmas is to make space for it, is to prepare the way for the hope of the reality of God coming to us. The reason I think that so many don't experience true and deep wonder at Christmas is because there is no space created for it in our lives. And so I want to ask us in the next week or so, what are you going to do to prepare to hear the news that God has come? What can you do to, in this busy time, set aside some time, some silence and some stillness just to consider what it is that God has come and that he has come to you. And it's a time to reflect and pray and to ask God to clear a space for him to come. Secondly, the second thing we require to have hope at Christmas is we need to listen to the voice. You see that in verse 9 that the announcement is made, the announcement that God is coming is made. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See what the good news is? The good news is this proclamation. It's this declaration of what has happened. It's a call. Verse 9, here is your God. Here is your king. Here 
is love. See, this is the message of Christmas, that God has come to us. And so one of the consequences of that is that we are not alone. The King has come. The King has come in the person of the Lord Jesus. And he's come in order that we might gaze upon him. And we do that by hearing this announcement, this proclamation of good news. We're hearing it here from the prophet Isaiah. We hear it throughout the scriptures. And so we at this time need to hear the voice of this announcement. We hear the voices of so many in our world. But here, as we prepare for Christmas, we need to hear the voice of God himself, of those who he has sent to prepare our hearts to hear what he has, uh, how he has come and what he has done. And thirdly, we need to receive the gift. See, here's the reality of hope. We need to realise that hope is not given, sorry, hope is given, not created. We can't muster up hope. We can't conjure up feelings of hope. No, in the scriptures and in Isaiah 40, hope is a gift. Hope is an unexpected, unimagined gift in the middle of darkness. There in verse 29, it says, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. See, we do not find hope by trying to be more hopeful. God is the source of hope. God is the source of hope in the middle of darkness. And as we prepare a space for him, as we prepare for the reality that he brings in the Lord Jesus, as we give an ear to the good news coming from Jerusalem, then our faith is strengthened. Hope is something outside of us, outside of you, but it is poured into your life when you put your trust in Jesus. So we need to ask ourselves, have we received this hope? Has hope burst into our lives? Because when we do, we realise that we have this blessed assurance, that we are able to say that Jesus is mine, that he has come, and he has come for me. Jesus is mine. We don't say hope is not that Jesus might be mine, Hope is not that Jesus will be mine. Hope is that anyone who trusts in him today can say, hope is mine. And the promises of Isaiah, the comfort, the joy, in the middle of hardship and in the middle of pain, our hours. Let's pray that we might sing, that we might speak, and that we might pray this Christmas, from the depths of our heart, knowing the hope that Jesus has brought us. Let's pray that we might prepare to hear that hope afresh, anew. Amen. Please stand.